y'all. It's Orlando. Long time no here, right? Well, we are back and we are continuing our candidate series. Donna and I partnered with the LEAP Coalition Steering Committee to bring to you a candidate forum for the city council candidates in District 4. It was a wild night with a lot of differing perspectives. We hope you'll take a listen and make an informed decision at the ballot box. Here is the latest episode of Authentically Detroit. Now meet the moderators. Moderators tonight, as uh, myself and Orlando Bailey, um, Emmy nominated Orlando Bailey. <laughs> I just say yeah. <laughs> my co-host of Authentically Detroit. You know, when you get important, you have to have those things in front of you. <laughs> We um, started this podcast a couple years ago in an effort to share news and build communication inside of our community. Um, since we um, recorded, I think we're into like 64, 65 episodes. Um, we've had so many listeners on multiple in, in, in throughout the United States and actually in Europe, um, in a couple of countries in Europe. So we're excited by the wide interest in authentic Detroit conversations. Um, and we are excited to bring this candidate's form to you so that we can um, share the information that you need. Um, this, um, the Authentically Detroit is funded by the Ford Foundation and you can tune in every week to hear the latest episode on our website, ecndetroit.org slash podcast or on buzzsprout.com or anywhere where you listen to your podcast on iTunes, on um on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of those places. Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your um, podcast. All right, so it is time to meet the candidates. Uh, this list has been compiled in alphabetical order. We want you to meet uh, Anemashan Bomani, formerly liaison and policy analyst for Councilman Kwame Kenyatta. He's the president of the Community Aid and Development Heritage Youth Program and the former AFS CME union member and rep. He's a member fellow of the Detroit Affordable Housing Task Force. He's a licensed social worker and a Michigan State University alumni. All right. Welcome, Mr. Bomani. Hi. ML Elric, Pulitzer Prize and Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter. See, I just have a, a nomination. He actually has an Emmy. A longtime union organizer and neighborhood activist currently serving as the East Outer Drive Street representative for the East English Village Neighborhood Association has been working for Detroit children for nearly 20 years as a youth sports coach, school commission member, and fundraiser who has so far raised more than $135,000 for Detroit children. ML Elwick, welcome. Thanks, it's great to be here. Good to have you. Letitia Johnson, graduate of Kettering High School and the University of Michigan, founded the nonprofit Mecca Development Corporation in 2014 because it was critical that every resident's voice is heard. She's partnered with residents to address concerns of well-being, workforce development, youth engagement, and neighborhood revitalization. Implemented the Community Closet Free Store skill building programs and the rehab of affordable housing. Letitia Johnson, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you. Tucson Knight, product of several public schools, received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Oakwood University and a Master's of Educational Leadership from the University of Michigan, served as the Deputy Manager for District 4 for the Mayor's Office, and he currently serves as Dean of Culture for Detroit Public Schools at Western International High School. Tucson Knight, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you. Davon Reeder. 
community servant, Army veteran, nonprofit founder, and CEO, and proud Detroit native. Graduate from Frederick Douglass High School for Young Men in Eastern Michigan University, my alma mater as well, where he studied criminal justice. Started the Nation Incorporated, a nonprofit organization focused on mentoring and increasing retention rates for young Black males. Served for seven years in the United States Army and has been commissioned as a second lieutenant. Davon, welcome. Thank you for having me today. Happy to have you. And Judge Virgil Smith served 14 years on the Wayne County Circuit Court bench, including four years as chief judge. He's also a former state representative who became the first Black Michigan Senate floor leader in Michigan history. Judge Smith, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Happy to have you. Ken Snap proud graduate of Cass Technical High School. Most Cass Tech graduates are proud graduates of Cass Tech. <laughs> Made history for being the youngest mayoral candidate at the age of 21 years old in 2017. A nationally recognized advocate for social justice, serves as a mentor, coach, former educator, and a law enforcement officer. Ken, welcome. Thank you, Orlando. I appreciate that. Happy to have you. Is Council President Pro Tem Mary Sheffield on the call yet? She here? All I right. Her now. I don't see her. So what we're going to do is we're going to go in alphabetical order. We're going to uh, ask each of the candidates to give their opening statements. You have two minutes. We are going to stick with time. And so two minutes for your opening statements. And we're going to start with Mr. Bobani. Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Ani Bomani. I'm a candidate for Detroit City Council District 4. I am unbought and unbossed. I'm a 30-year community activist and organizer. I've had extensive experience not only locally, but nationally organizing people. I've run many mentoring and rights of passage programs for young people. I am a, a member fellow of the Affordable Housing Task Force and a licensed social worker. So I have a passion for people. I've worked with all. Um, levels and all uh, people, different kind of people in my, um, while I was working, I'm sorry. And um, so I have extensive experience with uh, city government, uh, working for the city council. And I think that we need somebody there who will not sell out the people of Detroit. We need a strong representative, a strong black, black representative who will not sell out the people of Detroit. And unfortunately, gentrification is getting the best of us and we need to do something about that environmental racism is an issue here and places for our young people to go and do with the recreation centers and libraries is a real issue here in Detroit and in the fourth district. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bomani. ML Elric, two minutes. Hi. Uh, thanks, first of all, for the opportunity to meet with neighbors and people who we haven't seen yet as we knock on doors and as we come to neighborhoods. Uh, I think it's important for people to know as much as they can about us. I think many people may know me as an investigative reporter who's held public officials in Detroit, in Macomb County, in Lansing, and elsewhere responsible, who made sure that a state Supreme Court justice who wasn't going to work knew that people were watching him and expected him to put in a full day's work for a full day's pay, a very lucrative day of pay for what it's worth. But what I think people don't know about me is that I'm a 22-year resident of the district, I've been working in the district since before it was a district as a kid working at a market, working at a paint store. 
And then in addition to my work as an investigative reporter, I've also done stories that have highlighted Detroiters who are finding solutions, Detroiters who are trying to find a way to keep us out of chapter nine and to get us into chapter 10 and beyond. Those stories are on my website at ml4detroit.com under ML's Detroit Stories. I encourage you to take a look at them because really what it is, is it shows us what most people who have been in Detroit for a long time already know. The answers and the solutions are not in City Hall, they're in our neighborhoods, they're in all of us. They're in places like ECN working together with neighbors and trying to bring people together for a common purpose. That while the city should be our partner and should help us get things done, that's by pulling together that we're really gonna make things happen. I know that as a youth sports coach, I know that as a school commissioner, I know that as someone who's been involved in cleaning up my neighborhood and hopefully cleaning up politics. Uh, the current city council sat for four years next to a crook. No one would say anything about it. I was the only one who would say something about it. You want a watchdog in city hall? I'm the one. I'll watch the mayor. I'll watch the other city council members. And if something's rotten, you know I'll tell you about it. Thank you. Thank you, ML. Letitia Johnson, you have two minutes. Good evening, everyone. And thank you all so much for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit more of who I am. Um, I am a native Detroiter. I actually know what it's like to grow up in poverty in the city of Detroit. I also know what it's like to get a driver's license at the age of 21 because I didn't have a car to drive. And unfortunately, I know what it's like to live without running water. Thankfully, because of the support from family and teachers, I also know what it's like to be a first-generation college graduate. Over the past 14 years, I have served this community with compassion, empathy, and hard work to make sure that I help to address issues that we were seeing throughout our community. Seven years ago, I started a nonprofit organization called Mecca Development Corporation, a grassroots nonprofit organization that has continually made progress to address the needs of the people throughout our community, creating skill building programs, rehabbing houses. We have the community closet that was mentioned earlier because we just want to make sure that residents know and understand that we believe everybody deserves the best in life. We also have a program where we provide free books to children age five and under. I will continue to serve all of you. I will continue to work with all of you to make sure that we identify solutions that prioritize our residents and our communities. Thank you all you. know me. We are at time. Thank you so Thank much. You. Um, Tucson Knight, you have two minutes. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. It's truly a pleasure to be here. Um, if you want to know anything about me, you just know that I get things done. Um, from my past years, I've been in Detroit. I've been here all my life. So when I went to college, I've been able to get things done. I started a mentoring program when I got back from college to work with young men, change their lives, give them a different direction. We've been able to get over 50 young men in college, had our first graduate uh, the, uh, the past few weeks. I'm definitely the one who will be able to resolve your issues. I worked in the mayor's office for four years, resolving people's issues, an answering their concerns, and making sure um, that I get things done. If you want to know anything about me, uh, I, I think it's important to know that I will fight for jobs. I think as a city council person that you must fight for people to have a living wage, and I'll do that as a city council person. I'll fight for recreation because our seniors and youth, they need places to go that are safe, um, they need places to go where they can have an outlet. So I would definitely fight for that. And, uh, and lastly, I'll fight for quality of life in neighborhoods. 
Those are things I, I believe is so important that people want to live in peace. They want they want to make sure that they're not living around trash and abandoned houses. And I'll make sure that people have quality of neighborhoods. That's what I'll do as a city council person. And so as I as I think about the different people that I've encountered through this campaign trail, I've met 90 year olds who cut grass four or five lots, you know, on their streets. And if you're looking for somebody to make sure that these people don't have to do that, I am your guy. And I'll definitely, I'll definitely fire for you each and every day that I work as a city council person. And I'm thankful um, to have all the support I have right now. Thank you, Tucson Knight. I, Davon Reader. Davon, I want to caution because I want people to make, I want to make sure that we're saying everybody's name right. Your name on Zoom is saying Davion. I'm not sure why it's doing that, and I'm actually going to fix it. All right, but Davon Reader, you have two minutes. Okay, perfect. So good evening, everyone. Uh, first off, thank you, Lee. Thank you, ECN, and thank you, authentically Detroit, for inviting me and hosting this uh, conversation. And thank you to the candidates for joining me, but mostly thank you to the citizens of District 4 for the support that you guys have just poured out to me so far. I appreciate you. I am Davon Reader. <laughs> Uh, a son of Detroit, a man from East Seven Mile, and I was raised by a single mother. And in my household, we just knew struggle all too well. And it is because of this community's, this community's support. I now stand in front of you today as an Army veteran, a first-generation college graduate, a nonprofit founder, and now a city council candidate. And I am an example that would support and funding our city works. And I've seen our issues, I've seen the issues our community face, and I'm dedicated to providing solutions to these issues. And after working with many of you, I have developed a four-point plan for District 4. And in this plan, I address rebuilding our workforce and economy pipeline, introducing equitable housing for all of the all Detroiters, enhancing our public safety, and addressing the environmental and climate justice control in our city. And as your next city councilman, I will work to ensure all Detroiters are included in the development and growth for our city. And as I, as I go across my platform points, many people may ask and say, we have so many other problems we can address, so many things that we can focus on. But again, I said, after working with the neighbors and working with my team, these are four points that I know we can tackle today and it can help us set up for a better Detroit tomorrow. And not just for the new Detroiters, for all Detroiters especially the native Detroiters. Thank you. Thank you, Davon. And we're going to hear from Judge Smith. Judge Smith, you have two minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bailey, and thank you, Lee, for allowing me to address our community. Uh, my name is Virgil Smith. I was born and raised in the city of Detroit. Uh, I, my father raised me in both business and politics. My dad had a gas station 55 years, open in Coney Gardens. Um, he involved me in the political arena. I was in John Conyers' campaign organizing when I was 16. I was in Coleman Young's campaign organizing when I was about 22. Um, I spent 24 years in the legislature. I was elected to the state house, uh, then was elected to the state senate. I became floor leader in the Michigan Senate in 1995. Uh, after I left, the, well, while I was in the legislature, uh, I passed over 100 public acts, but probably one of them that I'm most proud of is I passed the first bill in the country against South Africa in 1978. Uh, uh, and that bill uh, uh, kept uh, 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 
uh, money, uh, uh, banking money from being invested in South Africa. In, 1990, in 1988, I passed the strongest investment bill uh, by, a by the Michigan legislature against South Africa. It was the first uh, uh, legislation passed by any state legislature against South Africa. We pulled $16 billion of Michigan corporate money out of South Africa in 1988. Apartheid fell in 1994. The ANC asked me to come over in, in 1995. I went there to help train their newly elected national legislators and provincial legislators in their nine provinces. I spent six weeks over in South Africa uh, doing that for the AMC. I did meet President Mandela and he did autograph his book for me, A Long Walk to Freedom. I then um, I spent uh, uh, 16 years on Michigan uh, on, the, on the Wayne County Circuit Court. I was both residing judge and chief judge. So sorry, but I have to cut you off. You have reached your two minute mark. Thank you so much, Judge Smith. Ken Snap, you have two minutes. Well, again, I'd like to thank everyone for uh, inviting us out today. Um, as you say, Orlando, I am a broadcast tech uh, alum. Uh, I've lived in Cornerstone community my entire life for, um, for over 24, uh, 26 years. I'm a former educator in Detroit Public Schools. Um, I've taught and mentored thousands of children in the city of Detroit, um, as well as coaching basketball for the past 10 years at Ronald Brown Academy, one of the East Side's uh, biggest magnet schools um, in a school in our district. I also coached at uh, Davis Aerospace for the last three years as the varsity head coach there. Um, I've protected and served our community as the Wayne County Sheriff Deputy. Um, probably the only nationally endorsed candidate um, in 2018 I traveled to Washington, D.C. to speak to uh, representatives, to our state representatives, um, with the National Community uh, Reinvestment Coalition. And during that time, we talked about our underserved communities, uh, including rural areas. Um, we struggle to attract private investment, and that's something that we uh, were advocating for. So we spoke to Brenda Lawrence, we spoke to um, Debbie Dingle, and Gary Peters as well while we were on Capitol Hill. Um, and I did that right after my 2017 campaign because I realized that people are, are really struggling. So uh, the NCRC, well, National uh, Community Reinvestment Coalition, invited me out um, with other local leaders. And we came and we spoke about the inequities in Detroit, especially for uh, the 40% of underprivileged and living in poverty uh, constituents that we have. Um, I also want to make sure we get this point out uh, that I support uh, Senator uh, Erica Geis, uh, she's doing Senate Bill 961. And this is something I wanna talk to people about because policy is very important. Um, we're trying to pass this bill, which uh, has one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours work. So limiting you know, folks to pay sick time leave is so inhumane, especially in the time of COVID. Um, we have to realize that policy matters and then that folks Thank you know, you. Thank you. Time, Ken. I'm sorry to have Thank to you. It's you okay. Yeah. Time. Thank you. So uh, again, everybody, I have to be that person tonight. Uh, forgive me, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but not really that sorry. So we have about 11 categories uh, worth of questions that we want to ask, and I'm sure that we're not going to get to all of them, and this list isn't even exhaustive. How it will work is that Donna and I will seesaw questions, and we're going to go up and down the roster alphabetically, and then go back up the other way. So I'm gonna turn it over to Donna to ask our first question. Donna. Um, 
Last November, um, voters in Detroit supported proposal in to um, raise bond funds to demolish homes and also to um, to protect and secure um, some homes. The, the mayor said at the time when he was proposing proposal in that um, home renovation, securing homes was going to be prioritized over demolition, that it was always a better result to keep a home than to demolish a home. But I think I can speak for many of my community development colleagues in noting that it's getting harder and harder to find homes to acquire and rehab. Many homes that could be rehabbed are showing up on a demolition list. And it seems as though the demolition list is being proposed without a lot of community input. So my question is, um, how, do you, how would you propose an equitable land disposition program? And I'll start with you, Mr. Snap, since um, we started, we're going backwards on the alphabet. What would you do to ensure an equitable land disposition program? Well, um, first, I believe in developing CBAs for sure, community benefit agreements. Uh, I believe that the uh, community's input is very important when we establish any type of policy. Um, I also believe that pricing can be adjusted downward to allow for greater affordability for our um, longtime citizens that have been in District 4 and across the city, because we know that a lot of uh, folks and a lot of different uh, corporations are coming in and buying the cities from the land bank. So I believe that if we can adjust and create equity for our citizens, I think we have a conversation. And then once we get into a little bit more of, you know, legislation and development policy with CBAs established, I think we can come to a, a, a better idea, a better plan to uh, at least get our city back on track with um, buying these abandoned houses and structures. Okay, thank you. Um, Judge Smith. How would you, um, what, what, do you, what would you do to ensure an equitable land disposition policy? Well, I also agree with Mr. Snap that the community has to be involved in, uh, in, uh, in how homes are renovated and, and whether a home is salvageable or whether it can be rehabbed. I would like to see more community involvement in the rehab process. So I would like to work with the trade unions. I'd like to see carpenters, electricians, plumbers, being trained in our community and working with community groups so we can have community-based organizations being a part of that rehab process in order to rehab houses in their own neighborhoods, whether we have church involvement or community involvement to take, to take control of the rehabilitation process within their own communities. I'd like to see that grow and prosper and I would do all I could to help facilitate it. All right, thank you. Um, Davon Reeder, how would you ensure equitable land disposition policies in the city of Detroit? I think the answer is simple. The people, uh, we need to get our citizens involved in the process of change and development. Um, we have so many community-based grassroots organizations that knows what's going on on the ground. And as a, as a leader in the Army, whenever I was completing a mission, I didn't make any decision without going and talking to my troops on the ground because I, they know things that I don't know and they know what changes needs to be happening. And I, I will bring that same thing into the, the decision-making when it comes to this, this subject for Detroiters. We need to ask the citizens and get our community organizations involved as well as we do, we are doing the Motor City Magic with business owners. We can do something similar for 
uh, citizens who buy homes and rehab them. So if you we will match up to a certain amount of funds to help you rehab the home. So that way, this house is not just getting bought and you're going to lose it in a few years, but you're actually going to make it a better, a, a sustainable house. Um, I know that we're proposing to tear down houses, but that is only leaving us vulnerable for more illegal dumpings. We have about 90,000 90, abandoned lots right now. That just leaves us more open for illegal dumping. And I will simply just get the people more involved and use some of that American Rescue Plan funds. It's there, we need to use it for our citizens. I know that the mayor offered, uh, I think it was about what, $100 million for neighborhood development. We can. We can offer more than that. We we can shift some, reallocate some funds, and get our citizens the 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 funding and the resources they need to redevelop their homes. Thank you, Tucson Knight. What would you do to ensure equitable distribution of land? Yeah, thank thank you very much for the question. I think I think it's important that, as you all kind of alluded to in your question, that you must involve the community, and I think that. Um, something that has went away from our communities that we don't have a lot of block clubs anymore. So a lot of those voices get drowned out by different individuals that speak for the community. So one of the things I would do as a city council person is make sure that I'm walking as I'm doing now, block by block, talking to the residents and seeing, because I've been able to see that a lot. And some people are like, hey, they should never tore down that building or they this building needs to go. And I think, you know, when I worked for the city, one of the things I was very important doing was I was able to get buildings torn down. And um, when I, I was at, I remember I, I worked at Denby High School for a while. It was an abandoned building across the street from Denby High School. And that was a building that kids were going into. There were a lot of things happening. And we were able to get that down within my first month of working for the city. So I believe in getting stuff done. I think that's the most important piece. And I believe in also making sure that community, that the community is involved in those uh, decisions because they have to live there. They know what's happening. They know if they want to, if people can buy the house, if they want family members to move in or, or whatever. So I'll, I'll definitely involve the community and I'll definitely continue to work to get more abandoned houses down and keep the houses that can be salvaged. Thank you. All right, thank you. Letitia Johnson, what would you do to ensure more equitable land distribution? So we definitely have to appreciate and value the voice of the community. Um, there are numerous community development organizations on the east side that are on the ground doing the work that understand the challenges that we're having within our communities. And I believe they have the capacity to be able to revitalize these properties as opposed to demolishing them. Because in District 4, we have swaths of land that have been demolished and still no development taking place. In order for us to have improved public safety, we need to revitalize houses as opposed to tear them down. Um, so we have been working on a community engagement process um, within Mecca Development Corporation. And I know and value the importance of having people's voice at the table. I do recognize that there are so many of us that are doing the work and wanting to make sure that there is transparency and accountability and so making sure that everybody is involved in making those decisions and they're not just told to us which properties are going to be demolished because we know we've all seen so many houses with secure stable foundations to be demolished just because a neighbor thought it was an eyesore within the community. So we definitely have to stay connected and stay engaged. Thank you. ML Elry, um, what would you do to ensure equitable land disposition? I think one of the, the, the first and most important things we can do 
is identify the most uh, salvageable homes and make them available to people who lost their homes because of the overassessment of city properties. If you really want to create equity, equity is a home and giving a home to people who lost their home unfairly would be my top priority. Secondly, I think neighbors who are longtime residents, people are in the neighborhoods already, they have made the, the uh, commitment, they've made the investment. So I would expand the side lot program and I would make sure that if you are a responsible homeowner who has a clean record of maintaining your property, if you'd like to have more property, that we make those lots available to you. Uh, your track record will determine the ability to get lots. Right now, you can only get a couple on either side of your house. I think if you've been a responsible homeowner and you can take on more responsibility, we trust you based on the, uh, the record you've created. I also think that we do need to have community input meaning if there is a property or there is an, a vacant lot that's owned by the land bank or owned by the city, if the block club, if the neighborhood association would like to come together and make that a garden, would make to make, make that a tot lot or a small, uh, a small green space, or even put solar panels on there or create a small urban farm, that we take that input and we have them at the table before we make it available to the rest of the community. And also I think ownership should be to individuals. So if there's a home that's for sale, we should make sure that they are not being sold to people who are trying to accumulate properties, who are trying to be speculators, who are trying to build an empire where they're gonna sit on these homes until the values appreciate. And of course, the priority should be to local people, people in Detroit, people from the neighborhood, people who are our neighbors, we want to stay in the city of Detroit because the only reason the city is, is poised for a comeback is because so many of us have sat through so much malarkey that we're actually ready now to reap the fruits of our labors. Thank you, Emil. We are at time. Go ahead, Donna. Thank you. And I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Orlando seemed to do with no trouble, but I'm going to try this. Is it Ani Bomani? Um, how do you pronounce your first name? Yeah, Ani. Ani is fine. Ani Bomani, even though most people just call me Bomani. All right. Well, I'm going to call you Ani Bomani for today. Um, so okay. thank you joining us and how can you answer the question how you would distribute um, ensure equitable land disposition? Well, of course, I would agree with most people that we have to get the neighborhoods and the people in the grassroots uh, organizations involved in uh, uh, equitable distribution of the funds. But we also need to um, get some of that money back from the over taxation funds too. And we need to stop uh, you know, kowtowing to the millionaires and billionaires and maybe make them pay their fair share, which is what Biden is trying to do. Maybe we need to tax those people too and to make sure there's enough funds for the neighborhoods because downtown and midtown seem to be getting all the money and nothing seems to be going to the uh, neighborhood. So as a grassroots organizer and, and, and an advocate, that money that we've been overtaxed and the money that they're using for downtown and midtown uh, and Little Caesars Arena, and the Downtown Development Corporation is giving money to millionaires and billionaires, and that money needs to go to the neighborhoods. Thank right. you. Thank you. Orlando, it's your turn. Thank you, Donna. So my question is under the tenet of public safety. Um, it's a hot topic right now in the city of Detroit. And the question is, what is your vision for public safety, policing, and surveillance in our city? Since we started with uh, Ken Snap last time, Mr. Bomani, we're going to start with you. You have two minutes. Okay. Um, one thing I disagree with uh, facial recognition technology. 
um, apparently all black men look alike <laughs> and all black women look alike. And so I, I disagree. And it's been, you know, there's been some issues with uh, facial recognition technology all over the country. Also, we have an issue where sometimes the police have a tendency to overreact to situations. As a licensed social worker, I believe that maybe sometimes you need to have people who are empathetic like social workers to come in and help mediate some of these situations that you have in the neighborhoods instead of sending in an occupying force, which sometimes it appears that the police are being overly armed and overly gunned. You know, we need to make sure that there are people who are around who are sympathetic, who are not just there to to arrest people, to harass people. You need people who are sympathetic to the situations because because of the COVID situation, we have people who are suffering. Mental health issues are serious and I've worked with the mental, mentally challenged population quite a bit. So we need people who are empathetic to the situation that goes on in the neighborhoods. Thank you, Mr. Bomani. ML, same question to you. What is your vision for public safety policing and surveillance in the city of Detroit? Sure, thanks, thanks Orlando. Um, first and foremost, I think we need more police and I think we need better police. I think we need police who are trained to be peace officers first and warriors second. And I think we need to expand the definition of what a police officer or a police employee is in the city of Detroit. That can be social workers, that can be psychologists, that can be uh, family advocates, they can be therapists. These, these are people who can help deescalate situations who can help us get a peaceful resolution when there's a conflict pending. Uh, one of the reasons why I say we need more police is because response times are still not what they should be. And because the reason we're even talking about green light and shot spotter and speed humps is because this is technology that is supposed to replace human beings. We have these things because we don't have enough people, because we don't have neighborhood police, because we don't have police who know the kids because we don't know police, we don't have enough police to have human intelligence, meaning sources in the neighborhoods who can tell them what's really going on, where the hot spots are, who might be responsible, and who can tell a kid who may be headed towards trouble, you know what, you're a good kid. If you keep doing this, you're gonna end up in a place you don't wanna be. I'm concerned that we are trying to find shortcuts to keep Detroiters safe. Green light is no substitute for a quick police response. Speed humps, we need them, but the reason we need them is because there's nobody holding speeders responsible for going too fast in our neighborhoods. And I guarantee you, once we put all these speed humps in, which by the way are very expensive, people will find another way to get around them. And if folks are gonna speed, they're gonna speed. Uh, I think one of the things about surveillance, I am not in favor of being under the scrutiny of a camera 24 seven. I would be in favor of temporary surveillance set up on dump sites so that we can identify the people who are using our city as a garbage pound. And we are at time, ML, thank you so much. We are gonna move on to Letitia Johnson. Letitia, the same question to you. And that is, what is your vision for public safety policing and surveillance in our city? You have two minutes. Thank you for the question. So I think we have to take a, a global look at public safety. Um, one, we need to make sure that we are occupying houses, that we're re revitalizing houses so that we have more eyes and ears within our communities. Um, we need to make sure that we provide some community centers for all of our residents to be able to take advantage of skill building activities to keep them 
productive to keep them um, working in positive areas so that um, we reduce crime. When you give people opportunities, when you have them working in uh, various areas, that gives them the ability to do positive things, create jobs. Um, that helps to make sure that we are productive and we don't have time to um, go out and do frivolous things that create public safety hazards or issues. Um, as it relates to policing, I did serve on the board of the 5th Precinct Police Community Relations Council for six years and recognized the value in making sure that we develop relationships with our officers so that they know and understand who we are in the community and the culture of the community. Um, I do think it's important to increase the number of neighborhood police officers so that we can continue to develop those relationships and that we then know how to work together as opposed to working against one another. And um, as it relates to surveillance, I will agree that we, we recognize that Detroit is a 70, 80% African-American uh, city and we know that uh, facial recognition cameras are not favor favorable for us. Um, I would definitely remove the facial recognition portion of the surveillance, but make sure that um, we have cameras to be able to identify individuals who commit crimes, um, but not utilizing that technology solely to apprehend people because we've seen that it just does not work for Black people. Thank you, Letitia. You finished right on time. Tucson Knight, your vision for public safety policing and surveillance in the city of Detroit. You have two minutes. Sure. I, I, first off, you know, this is one of those things where um, when, the question is going to be asked, what sets you apart from other candidates? One of the things I'll, I'll be very clear on is that I've already, um, I like to talk about what I've done. And so when I, um, a few years back, we started a program called the Brotherhood. That is police officers mentoring young men and young women in the community, the brotherhood and the sister. It started off as the brotherhood. And I remember that the, the most powerful thing about this was that so many different kids start seeing police officers in a brighter light instead of like always going at it, always feeling like they're gonna harass them. They start seeing them as their big brothers and big sisters. And I believe that's so important um, as we talk about the policing and the city and how are we gonna connect our people to make sure that we have that right balance between the police and the community. I think that's so important. And I've done that as um, just working in the community. Also, I feel like, so this is certain things. I know people don't wanna to touch hot topic issues and things like that. And I won't be very clear. I'll always be straight up with people. I'm always gonna tell them where I, where I stand on issues. And um, as it relates to the facial recognition, I am not against facial recognition. If you look at the homicide closure rate in the city of Detroit, it is 22%. The homicide closure rate is 22%. So when you think about how many people are going home on a consistent basis to a to a uh, to the ghost of a murdered child and a murdered uh, family member, and we don't have enough resources to be able to resolve them. And some people say we can police, 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 but we need to be able to find more resources to be able to resolve those with the right parameters. That means that we must have individuals that are held accountable. And I don't know if Letitia knew or not, but the the current police uh strategy on facial recognition, it does not, um, it is only used as a lead. You cannot go arrest someone. Now that was an issue before that they did arrest someone, but it's only used as a lead right now at the current police department. And if it we is- We are at time. Thank you, Knight. We are at time. We are at time. We're gonna move on to Davon Reader. Davon, your vision for 
public safety, policing, and surveillance in the city of Detroit? Um, I, okay, so uh, let, let me just address the surveillance part wise in my head. So we know that across the country that they're starting to investigate, starting to research, uh, even taking out eyewitness statements as ways of prosecution. So why would we, I, I just don't think we should be relying on facial recognition. We can't even rely on the memory of a human being, just simple as that. And to address policing, uh, the first issue is we need police officers from Detroit. Uh, less than a quarter of the police officers from NDPD are from Detroit. Uh, you can't police a neighborhood where you don't live, where you don't understand the citizens. And it's just that simple. Um, as a community of color, when we call our first responders, we should know that we're going to be treated with respect and our issue is going to be handled. And not that if I call, I may be killed or I may go to jail. It, it, it just, that shouldn't be a thought in my head. It, it just shouldn't. And as if we introduce, as I, as I thought about neighborhood policing, if you went to D, DPS in the last 15 years, you know uh, Officer Payne. Officer Payne will come to the schools and, and, and try to recruit on DPD behalf, but he will always say, I'm not going to leave here with the expectation of getting new recruits. I want you to understand that I'm here for you. And I want you to understand that there are police officers like me that look like you that want you to be okay. And he will always give his cell phone number out. And I returned back to my, uh, to Frederick Douglass a few years after graduating and he was still doing the same routine. And I just was so amazed by that. We need more of that. And we need to introduce mental health specials, mental health practicing in our police practicing period. It's, it, we know if anything from this last year, we need police report, reform. And what that looks like is understanding that criminals are human beings, people are human beings, and we have problems. Everybody has problems. Even the police officer that's responding to the 911 call. We need mental health specialists. Reader, we are at time. Thank you, Davon. We're gonna move on to Judd Smith. Judd Smith, your vision for public safety, policing, um, and surveillance in the city of Detroit. You have two minutes. Uh, thank you. I'd like to see a residency reinstored I, I uh, think that uh, uh, police officers should live in the city of Detroit. And I would work as hard as I could to change the state law to allow residency uh, to be taken into consideration. The legislature took that out of our hands because anytime there's an issue that the black community wants to see, they will take it out of our hands and put it on a higher level. I'm willing to fight at every level. I also think that there needs to be more oversight of police officers. We need to know which police officers are abusive. We need to know how many uh, police officers have complaints filed against them. We need to know what kind of complaints are filed against them. And we need to have some way of getting those police officers off of the police force. We need to strengthen the, the oversight by the Detroit Police Community Board so that they can throw police officers off if they feel that they are detrimental to the city because of their, their actions and they have caused the city because of the lawsuits that have been filed because of the actions that they involved themselves in. I think education for police officers is quite important. I'd like to see police officers have a, a minimum of two years of, uh, of uh, uh, community college besides the high school education. I'd also like to see diversity concluded. I was raised in a segregated Detroit and uh, the, all police officers are white when I was growing up. And that didn't change until Coleman Young became mayor. When Coleman Young became mayor, he made sure that there was diversity in the police force. There needs to be community policing. 
the police need to be reflective of the community. And I'd like to see our churches involved in making recommendations on young people in their congregations and, and, and help put, to push them forward to be police officers in the city of Detroit so they will be reflective not only of the city of Detroit, but also of our church community, which has been the we foundation. Judge Smith, I hate to cut you off, but we are at time. Uh, Ken Snap, you have the last word on this. Your vision for public safety, policing, and surveillance in the city of Detroit, you have two minutes. So the funny thing is that I'm actually a law enforcement officer. I do work for Wayne County uh, Sheriff's Department as a deputy. Um, and also I did lead a, a march across Bell, uh, Bell Isle Bridge advocating against police brutality. So as an officer, I have the first hand point of view when it comes to policing tactics and policy. And as I stated earlier, policy is the key to changing our political spectrum and our life for residents in District 4 and across the city. Um, really quickly, I wanna talk about policy when we hire officers. A lot of people don't know, once we hire an officer, they have the choice to go to school, well, they have the choice to go to Schoolcraft or they have the choice to go to our police academy for DPD. Once they go, they attain that knowledge and they become a certified officer. Then there is no law in place that allows them to stay in, stay in the city and well restricts them from leaving our agency. So our turnover rate is really high from those who are retiring or those who are quitting and leaving, going to other agencies. We're paying these officers to go get trained under DPD, under Detroit uh, taxpayers' money. And then they say, well, I don't wanna stay here because I'm not from here. They're from Southgate, they're from Monroe, they're from everywhere else, then they leave. So our turnover rate is very high and it does not reflect our community. So when it comes to community policing, we have to really think about who we're hiring in the policy that goes into place. That is something city council and city council members can uh, address when it comes to policy of that. And also uh, I would like to say that, um, I know I have two minutes, but the policy around facial recognition needs to be addressed. I know the judge uh, can uh, speak to this, but when you find someone who is of high interest, they go through the probability of facial recognition. They have to attain a warrant. So we have to have stronger policy around getting the warrant. What does it look like? We need to have some community advisory uh, board or committee that says, well, this person looks like this or this person doesn't look like that. So then the situation that we had that made national news on 60 Minutes does not happen. You have to have those communities at time. We appreciate your perspective. Donna, on you. All right. Um, thank you so much. We're now going to talk about the tax foreclosure crisis. Um, the Detroit News found that Detroiters were overassessed by $600 million, which contributed to a net loss of Black home ownership in our city, which once led the nation in Black home ownership. And may I mention generational wealth? Do you believe the city is responsible for reparations to affected homeowners? And if so, how? I'm gonna start with you um, once again, Ken Snap. <laughs> Since I always get you misgiven. Um, yes, yeah, so to address that, um, the question was, do I have an idea, correct, of how to- Questions, actually. Do you believe the city is responsible for reparations to affected homeowners? And um, what, what is that look like? Okay. Yes, I believe the city is responsible. Um, in, I believe, 2017, they did it. Well, the state did an audit that was $8 million that we wasted money on. And I think that they said they didn't find anything. Well, we know that it's untrue because it was an article in uh, Forbes magazine and um, a lady had lost her home. 
So we know folks have been losing their homes because of overassessment. And I believe it was around $3,000 per year that was overassessed for the median of each home, I believe in Detroit. So I believe it was 117,000 uh, citizens. So I do believe that they're responsible for that. And they look at the budget, the city looks at the budget, the mayor looks at the budget and they know what's going on. They are responsible for the overtaxation. Um, and my plan would be for the overtaxation is to find some type of way we can give a tax credit. Um, it doesn't, I know we can't do it at one lump sum, but it has to be over time. Maybe we can address it over the next five to 10 years where we give a tax credit to each person that was overassessed. But first we have to do a reassessment. Someone has to spend the money that doesn't matter who it is, but first we have to do a reassessment to figure out what we were truly overassessed because they're saying $600 million, but I, I believe there's more than $600 million. So that would be my idea on how to we uh, how to redisperse this money back to the citizens that it's owed. Okay, thank you. Um, Judge Smith, do you believe that effective homeowners are owed reparations? And if so, what would that look like? Absolutely. And if it's a pot of 600 million or if it's a pot of 500 million, that pot of money needs, we need to take that pot of money and use it to attack the structural issue in the city of Detroit. Uh, uh, all black people used to be poor. When, when we were in segregated Detroit, we were all poor. We might have had 1% of the black community that actually were middle class. Since that time, we've had a majority of our community that have been able to move into the manufacturing arena, escape poverty. But we've got, we've got a good 35% of our community, 57% of the households in the city of Detroit are from single parent households. 35% of that uh, of, of those individuals and those families are in the poverty line. I'd like to see that 600 million be used for support services to help pull single parent households that are in poverty out of poverty. I wanna see supportive programs for the children. I wanna see opportunities for the parents to get advancement through education, through uh, uh, opportunities for trade jobs, for opportunities for specialized jobs in the county or city. But we need to use that money that reinvest in the family infrastructure, which is just absolutely necessary to re revitalize the city of Detroit. Okay, thank you. Um, Davon Reeder, are reparations um, called for? And if so, um, can you tell us what, what you would do? What do you recommend? Yes, reparations, it's, it's past due. It's, it's been a long time and we should have, we, we knew about this problem. We knew it happened and we keep saying like, oh, we don't know how to fix it or we can give you preference to this and preference to programs that Detroiters should already be, be preferenced to. They should already have the obligation to that. It's just not, it's, it's just ridiculous. So I'm just like, I'm sure many, everybody's gonna say proposed tax credits as well, but this is an attack on the black, the black family, the black home ownership. And it's something that we need to address in a, a, a system way, a systemic way. We need to address how we are assessing our taxes, how we are including the neighborhoods that surrounding Metro Detroit and how they're having an impact on our, our property taxes and our property value. And not only that, we need to make sure that we are spreading and advocating for home ownership across the entire D Detroit and across the entire East Side. When it comes to Gratian and Seven, a lot of these citizens don't own their homes. And it's just, it's just not fair. It's just not, it's not something that should, should exist in a time like this. 
we should give Detroiters tax credits and, and look at different avenues for home ownership. Uh, we need to work with the land bank. I, as a city councilman, I will work with the Detroit land bank to ensure the, the process in which attaining a home is simple for Detroiters because the average Detroiter, we, we just don't know how to navigate these systems and we need to address the protocol for rehab. Six months for rehab for most of these homes is just not acceptable. Thank you. Tucson Knight, do you believe the city is responsible for reparations to affected homeowners? And if so, how? Yeah, yes, I believe that the city should um, definitely figure out a way to be able to pay uh, these homeowners back. And something more specific, um, we need to identify individuals who actually lost their homes because um, we know that from the from the study, from the report, that people actually lost their homes. And that's so disheartening and frustrating, honestly, um, to me. And I believe that some ways that we can uh, resolve those issues is by making sure that we have a connection with the land bank and we need to identify those homes that people can move into. And we need to make sure that the city can help them. We have $400 million coming to the city of Detroit, 400 million from the, from the, uh, from the federal government. We should put some of that money to help individuals repair those homes that we'll give them if they lost their home. And I think it just goes back to, which is so important is that we need more home ownership um, in the city of Detroit. I think one of the issues that we have with quality of life um, in the neighborhoods is that we don't have enough people owning homes in the city. And we need to work with citizens to show them how to own a home, show them how to fix their credit and make sure um, that we help them uh, get homes and more home ownership. And I hope that this doesn't ever happen again and I'll fight to make sure that we do the correct assessments each year so that people will not be over assessed. Thank you. Letitia Johnson. Do you think that um, affected homeowners are owed reparations? And if so, how? It goes without saying, absolutely. Um, we should definitely support those individuals who unfortunately lost their homes. Um, things that, that are coming to mind right now is to create community land trusts, uh, pool properties from the Detroit Land Bank Authority, identify dollars to be able to rehab those houses, provide home improvement workshops, uh, so that people can maintain those houses. So the most devastating part for me is what you indicated, Donna, and that is recognizing that so many people lost the ability to continue to generate and build um, wealth through home ownership. Um, so yes, I would definitely support it and definitely support uh, community land trusts and, and pulling properties from the Detroit Land Bank Authority to be able to make that happen. Thank you. All right, um, ML Elric, do you believe that Detroiters are owned reparations? I think you kind of answered that question in your response to the last question I asked, but what if so, how? Sure, first of all, I think what people in District 4 are seeing tonight is what a outstanding group of candidates that they have to choose from. That, that's my bad luck as a candidate, but we've heard a lot of really good ideas. But I think as in so many things, the devils are in the details with this. One of the things people aren't talking about is the 600 million, and let's assume that's the right figure. Most of those taxes didn't go to the city of Detroit. It went to the schools, to the libraries, to the county, to the jails, to the parks, to the community college. Are, we, are, those, are those agencies, are those entities prepared to put some of that money in a pot to make people whole? I think we need to talk about that because this money is not all gonna come from the city of Detroit and this money can't come from the federal aid because that money has earmarks on it and regulations that prevent it from being used for this. Because frankly, that'd be the easiest thing right there. So let's take that money 
and let's put it in the pot. Uh, for me, the city is absolutely responsible, first and foremost. Second of all, I agree with providing a tax credit to people who overtaxed. If you were tax exempt, in which case a credit would not help you, I think a cash refund is in order. And I'd also like to make a distinction between homes that were occupied by the taxpayer and homes that were rentals. Because I think we all know, those of us who have rented a property, that when the landlord has to pay more, he passes it right on down to the renter. So I think we should prioritize. First of all, if you lost your home, we need to get you a home from the land bank or some other city owned property or give you the cash equivalent when we sell that property. Second of all, the refunds have to go to residents and not landlords first. And third of all, we have to make sure all the agencies who receive this money are prepared to put some of that money in the pot because this is not just the city of Detroit's problem. It's a problem for multiple government agencies and we need to make sure that we don't send them into bankruptcy when we try and do some good for people who have been done wrong. Thank you. Ani Bomani, do you believe that Detroiters are owed reparations? And if so, how, what do you recommend? Well, of course, uh, Detroiters are owed reparations and uh, I voted against a proposal and because I think it just taxed uh, homeowners and people in Detroit more um, you know, and we haven't done anything with the funds that we have, you know, the uh, $600 over taxation should be returned to the people in some way by giving them homes, giving them uh, credits for new homes, um, tax credits. There are many things that we can do and a lot of that money that, that you know, went, um, that came that we are overtaxed for a lot of that money went to the downtown development corporation a lot of that money went to big corporations who built up downtown and midtown and that money did not go into the neighborhoods we need to make sure that money does not go to the millionaires and billionaires who seem to be exploiting the city of detroit and and depriving the neighborhoods of the really the kind of development they need to have you know those people like uh, the, um, the Downtown Development Corporation took money out of the schools, took money out of the overtaxation and put it into Little Caesars Arena. We need to stop giving these millionaires and these billionaires tax breaks just to come in here and exploit the people, which is what they're doing. We need to make sure everything is for the residents only. We need to make sure the money goes to the residents, build up the neighborhoods, home repair, all sorts of things need to be done in order to serve the residents. We don't need to serve the gentrifiers. We do not need to see serve the corporations. And that's what we seem to be doing with the current, current administration. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bomani. We have a couple of minutes left for um, our facilitated Q&A. And then uh, we want to remind those folks who are viewing on Facebook and those folks who are here on Zoom to go ahead and put your questions in the Q&A chat because we want uh, to hear from you as well. So uh, the facilitated Q&A will end momentarily and we will get to uh, hear directly from the community, which I am excited about. Since we're talking about homes, I want to stay on um, a related subject. I'm switching to uh, the tenant of home repair, and we're going to start with Mr. Bromani. The city is in an owner-occupied home repair crisis, as reported in Bridge, Detroit, by one of my colleagues. The onus for repairs rests on the homeowner. The average Detroiter can't afford these costly repairs. Homes going to disrepair, and then we lose another resident 
and which we believe is you know gentrification over time how do you propose to stop feeding the demolition machine and get people grant dollars to fix up their homes mr bomani you have two minutes well we need to make sure as our, our, as the city council people and we need progressive people on the city council to make sure that that money goes directly to the neighborhoods because we've had the kind of city council now that makes sure that the money goes to the millionaires and billionaires and gentrifiers and not the people in the neighborhoods and give them grants not loans to make sure that they can uh, repair their homes and give them the kind of knowledge and incentive and direction in order to be able to use that money wisely and to go to Detroit contractors, you know, Detroit based contractors, not new people who just showed up or just got a new address, but people who have been here and there's plenty of contractors in the city of Detroit who have done work for years and years and years going back to the Coleman Young era, but we always seem to be um, providing money and using contractors from outside the city of Detroit. To me, that is a scam. That the administration is using that, uh, is using the money that we should be giving to these home repair grants to give to people who come from the outside. We need to make sure Detroit is for Detroiters. The money needs to go to Detroiters, and we need to stop playing. And that's what we're doing. We we're we're serving the gentrifiers. We're serving downtown. We're serving the rich, but we're not serving the people in the neighborhoods. Grassroots organizing is what we need to be doing to make sure that the people get what they need and get what they want and get what they deserve. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bomani. ML, homes fall into disrepair. Residents can't afford the repair. If they end up moving out, it becomes a blighted structure and then it has to be demolished. How do you stop? How do you propose we stop the bleeding? You have two minutes. Yeah, Orlando, you're absolutely right. We've been knocking on doors since January. And one of the leading concerns we hear from neighbors in, uh, in neighborhoods where home prices are rising is that they are losing their longtime neighbors, mainly seniors who can't keep up with home repairs because they're on a fixed income. And here's something where the federal money can be used. And I favor setting aside tens, if not $100 million for grants for seniors, low income loans. If we have to put some sort of lien on someone's home, they can be repaid once that house is sold or when the homeowner passes on whatever we have to do to put money in the hands of people who need to make those repairs. This should be income-based and roofs should be a priority because anybody who's driven through Detroit knows those blue tarps don't last forever. And when they get raggedy, not only do they not work, but they look terrible. And once a roof has a hole in it, then the whole house goes to hell because when the water comes in, there go the floors, then there go the ceilings, then there go the walls. So we've got to seal up these homes from the roof on down. Uh, in addition to the federal money, again, that's a finite amount of money. That's going to be gone someday. We need to get foundations, nonprofits, charities, churches, and unions to work together to put together a revolving fund that we can use to keep this program going into the future. And we need to get some donated labor. We need to get some of these union apprentice programs, getting some hands-on experience stabilizing these homes and helping people who deserve our help. If you've lived in this city for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and you've been holding down your neighborhood, we do not want you to go. We need you. We need you more than the new Detroiters because you're the ones who have kept Detroit alive. We have to do everything we can to keep you in that home and to keep providing a safe place for the Detroiters who have made the city what it is and who are laying a foundation for it to be even greater than it is today, which if you ask me, is pretty damn good. 
Thank you, ML. Letitia, the question on the table, uh, this cycle of homes falling into disrepair because residents cannot afford the home repair um, and it eventually leads to a blighted structure and then it has to be demolished. It's a vicious cycle. How do you propose we stop the bleeding? You have two minutes. So this is um, kind of twofold. So number one, we have to make sure that we are intentional about supporting residents throughout the city of Detroit with our tax dollars. In the current budget, there is $3.5 million earmarked for home repair grants. If they gave everybody $20,000, that's only 170 homes. It's not enough. It's not nearly enough, especially recognizing that we have houses that are nearing a century old. It takes a lot of money to maintain these houses and we have to make sure that we support the residents for being here as long as they've been here and providing some grant funding to be able to maintain their homes. I would also support some of the American Rescue Plan dollars helping to facilitate that. We also should make sure that we are providing skill building programs that leads to jobs within these industries. Mecca Development Corporation actually has home improvement workshops that we do. And as part of the, the program, are the, the attendees that go through the program are required to give back to residents in the neighborhood by doing two pro bono service projects to help to maintain these properties. When we talk about renters, um, we need to make sure that we are staying ahead of code enforcement. Code enforcement is extremely important to make sure that these houses do not become blighted, do not continue to decay, and that the renters are living in good quality housing so that that house does not end up on the demolition list. And I do wholeheartedly agree that it does help lead to gentrification because what's going to happen is all of these swaths of land will be redeveloped. They will have new properties built on them that longtime Detroiters will not be able to afford. We have to recognize that that is the fact of the matter. We will deal with issues of financing. These and we are um, at time, Letitia. Thank you thank, so thank much. You. Tucson Knight, this vicious cycle of homes falling into disrepair, residents unable to fix their homes, and eventually these homes needing to be demolished. How do you propose we stop the bleeding? Yeah, you know, um, as you all say, you all have identified this issue very well because like going to their doors and seeing just the, the many times that people I went to Lady House and she her whole front porch is gone like you know she's 94 years old she can't get out the house and I think that what's important that we need to do is like we have these American uh, rescue plan dollars we need to put a certain amount of that towards home repair that's first and foremost we need to make sure that we allocate money towards home repair. The second thing, I think it goes to a bigger issue um, as it relates to not even just the senior citizens, but I'm thinking about overall, why can't our people, um, why can't they afford to fix their homes? It's because of the jobs, that the lack of jobs. We need to make sure that people are employed with living wage jobs. And as a city council person, what I'll do is I'll make sure that I approve contracts that, that support a living wage so that people are able to take care of their homes, that they don't have to depend on grants, but they can take care of it for themselves. And for our seniors, this the we to make sure that we put more money in home repair. And as and as it was stated before, we need this it needs to be a community. I went to a lady's house yesterday. She said that she hasn't been in her basement in three years. 
not because she's scared to go down there, not because she can't go down there, but because the people on her block wash her clothes, take care of anything that messes up, they, they help her fix. We need to build those communities back in our city. And I was just like so blown away by that. And I wanna see us build our blocks block by block and make sure that we are funding these home repair loans from the city. Thank you, Tucson Knight. All right, uh, Devon. This vicious cycle of homes falling into disrepair, residents can't afford to pay them, and then we have to end up demolishing those homes. How do you propose we stop the bleeding? You have two minutes. I'm going to stress again, uh, Joe Biden our, Joe Biden is giving these funds to as a rescue, as an American rescue. Detroiters need rescue. In this category, Detroiters needs help. So we need to allocate a lot of those funds to Detroit homeowner repair. And also, I will share that in my workforce pipeline uh, initiative, I want to introduce more trade and skill programming to allow our Detroit our Detroiters to become a part of that change and and become what be the change we need from within, right? And also, I, I will share that I have two neighbors that just instantly come to mind. I have one neighbor who is a contractor, and he's actually putting on an internship program where he's inviting youth in his neighborhood to come and learn how to build up these homes and fix these homes. And he's going to help them get the, the accreditation that they need. And right down the street, I have a neighbor, uh, I call him CJ. He bought a lot, at least four homes that was on the Detroit Land Bank uh, website. And he's rehabbing them for the community where he's going to allow community members to live in these homes for close to nothing. And not only that, the unique part is he's getting the community members to rehab the home for free. All he's doing is providing them with a little music and food every day, and you can see them out there working. So that one promotes that community aspect that we need again, and also us being able to change from within and develop our homes. Thank you, Devon. Judd Smith, how do you propose we stop feeding the demolition uh, machine and get people the resources they need to fix their homes? You have two minutes. Judd Smith, if you're speaking, you're on mute. There you my go. apologies, my dogs were barking, so I muted myself. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'd like to see, uh, uh, I think we first need to understand what the problem is. So I, I would like to see uh, the Detroit uh, Department responsible for housing to, to look at uh, the number of houses uh, that were lost uh, and were foreclosed on and let us know uh, who were living in those houses and what basis those houses were closed on and what we could have done to help keep that family in that house. We moved from a manufacturing society to a technical society. And as that change occurred, the family structure was not there to continue to support the houses that were built in the 50s and the 60s. So what we see now is the jobs are not there the children that inherited those houses are not having sufficient employment. We need to start in the beginning. We need to understand what the problem is and we need to attack it in a systemic fashion. I'd like to see community-based organizations and churches work to rebuild the community. I wanna see the, uh, uh, the, the labor effort with the, the carpenters and the plumbers and the electricians help train our young people to these community-based organizations so we can rehabilitate our own homes. And yes, there definitely has to be money that's there for senior citizens and for those that have worked their entire lives in the city of Detroit 
that can't afford to rehabilitate their houses has to occur. We can rise the city, but we have to do it in a smart way. Thank you, Judd Smith. Ken Snap, you have the last word on this question. How do we stop feeding the demolition machine here in our city and give folks the resources they need to fix up their homes? You have two minutes. So uh, interesting enough, I have been working on this, uh, this topic with our seniors. Uh, I've been helping with Senior Power Days, well, Michigan Senior Power Days uh, here in Detroit that services thousands of seniors from Macomb, Oakland to Wayne County. Um, one thing, they had a program that was in place. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know about the 0% home repair loans uh, that gives 5000 to 25000 to help Detroit owners reinvest into their property. Um, the problem is they can't get people to come out. So the programs are there, but if you can't get people to come out or they can't use the technology to request for these people to come out, then you know it doesn't make sense. So one thing that I want to do, um, I think that could possibly help this because I don't believe in recreating the wheel. I believe of working with what we have. Um, if we can uh, create a community engagement tool, um, I think that's important. Uh, important because we're saying we're progressive, but we're not upgrading our systems and not upgrading our interaction with citizens. Um, I've talked, uh, spoke to two sisters who are uh, 65 and I believe 70 they couldn't get in touch with the city to, to make these calls or to get these repairs. So they have the opportunity and space to do what they need to do, but no one has, you know, come by or explained to them what's going on. And that's across the board with all our seniors. Um, they don't know technology. We have a digital divide, uh, a digital gap. Uh, our district, District 4, um, I have a buddy who works for Verizon. He tells me that we have the highest, uh, the highest percentage of no, of lack of broadband, I should say. Oddly, um, I can't word it correctly, but a lot of folks don't have access to internet. So for all these services that are presented, we can't get the information out to people. And that seems like to be a, a huge problem in District 4. Um, I believe that once we get this information to people, people can take advantage of the things that we have. It's a 0% loan from five to two, uh, $25,000 that's already available. We have to be smarter and we have to, you know, be more progressive when it comes to our uh, our policies. I think that if we can do that, I think we're at, we're going to be in a better, uh, a better position. Thank you, Donna. Unmute yourself and you get the last question and then we're going to hear from the community. I'm excited. I'm actually going to take this from the community. I just want to um, point out a couple things and I apologize, Orlando, but I feel compelled to just point out a couple things. Number one, not only do we owe reparations in some people's minds to people who lost their homes, but also to pensioners whose pensions were cut and whose health care was cut, who cannot afford certain things because of something that they did not believe was possible. And that was that the compact between themselves and the city and the pension boards was broken in the effort to um, you know, negotiate a, a bankruptcy. And unfortunately, as the, um, as the artwork was made whole, the people were not. And so I, I wanna hold out something because I believe retirees should be allowed to be retired and shouldn't have to go through job training in order to afford their lifestyles once they have served our community all of their lives. And so um, just had to put that in there because I hope that we think, that, th think about that as we consider our answers. One of the questions, an appropriate question for many of us is the lack of recreation centers in District 4. And um, District 4 does not have a recreation center at all. District um, 5 has a couple, but the Butzel Family Center does not provide a full range of recreation. 
as we talk about, you know, having a healthy fit community, what do you propose to bring justice to District 4? Because I believe the current city charter requires a recreation center in every district. And it seems like we're in violation and we've just decide, decided that we cannot afford to comply. So what would you do to um, finally comply with the city charter and bring those resources to our community? Um, I'm gonna start once again with you, Ken Snap, because you are, um, you know, I'm going backwards. Yes. Um, so as I, I stated earlier, I'm not in favor of recreating the wheel. And when it comes to our children, uh, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a basketball coach uh, and I've been a mentor to thousands of kids in our district, actually around Brown Academy. Um, the problem is that uh, they say we don't have money, but at the same time, we do have these schools. We have middle schools and we have high schools that can enable us to, to use those resources, use those tracks, those pools those workout facilities in the summer. I know that um, they had did a program two years ago, right before COVID hit, where we were using the pools, we were using the, the, uh, the tracks, the, the weight, uh, the workout facilities. If we can amplify that effort and make it, you know, after, you know, sports are happening because, you know, you have that conflict of interest uh, with the uh, sports teams at the schools, but if we can make it a, a priority to at least get our kids into these pools, into these, uh, workout rooms onto these tracks and having city funded and DPSCD um, a coalition with them, we can make something happen. I believe that that's something that uh, is easy to do, not recreating the wheel and can address it until we have those funds uh, and we go and find those funds to uh, create our own um, long-term recreation centers. One, one question before I go, are you suggesting that every neighborhood has equitable access to schools to swimming pools? Uh, to the, yes. They do. They every neighborhood in Detroit has that. They they did in the summer two years ago. The uh, mayor enacted a plan where they did that for the summer, where people were able to use the pools and use the tracks. People in District Four know that there's a school, the swimming pool, that they can access. All right, um, on to um, Virgil Smith, um, Judge Smith. What would you do to address the gap in recreation with the city charter? Well, one, I would make sure that there's a recreation center built in the fourth district. And I would like to see services rendered out of that recreation district that not only offer recreational services, but I also want to see supportive services in that recreation center. I want to see a mental health professional because I don't want the police responding to police calls. I want to send out a mental health professional that's housed in the recreation center. I want to see a counselor in the recreation center working with the counselors at the schools because I like to see schools put the counselors back in the school system. And I also think that we need to have cooperation and a, and a coordinated plan to, to give those type of services through this recreational center so that we can send out mental health professionals to respond to mental health calls. We can send have family counselors to work with uh, Wayne County Child and Family Services to help address the specific needs of residents in that district who are in poverty and have children. We need to have coordinated activities in terms of community-based organizations offering art, art, culture, and everything else. But it has to also be in coordination with the schools. I don't care for whether it's a public school or charter school. We need access to those fields. We need access to those swimming pools. And they should be, they should be open to city residents as they were when I was growing up because I could go up to Persian High School and go swimming at night uh, because they opened the schools to allow community-based folks to, to come there and use those activities 
we should be able to do that again. Okay. Um, Dave, I'm reader. What do um, I, I'm going to say this. We need a recreational center. If we want to address public safety, it, we have to have a recreational center. We have to have somewhere where our youth can go and play. We, we understand that our neighborhoods are becoming more dangerous and we need to address that as well. But a recreation center is a key part of public safety. Um, I, I know that, that uh, the American Rescue Plan doesn't have that many funds, but that it should be in the priority of public safety. The mayor is proposing to do a new police academy or training facility, that can go on the back burner. We need to put Detroiters first and Detroiters need recreation. It, it's just that simple. And um, I, I got this idea that every entity of our city, our city is saying, well, we don't have to work with them. We don't have to do this. This is separate from that. DPS CD is separate entity, right? But they have so many empty buildings that it's just sitting there. They're not being used for anything they can donate a building to, to the city where we can rehab that into a recreation center. And, and maybe the city can offer something in return where the, cities, the students of that area don't pay a recreational fee or they have priority to the gymnasium. Something can be offered where we can use some of these buildings, some of these churches that's just sitting there and they're just, just they're not being used. We can use them, we can, we can rehab them and we can get our community organizations involved in this as well. That gives us an opportunity. And often throughout my campaign, you're gonna hear me talk about the people and community involvement, because that's what I think we need to get back as Detroiters. That's something that I grew up. I knew my neighbors had my best interests. And I want that same thing to happen for my nephew and my siblings. So I would say, let's rely on our other governmental issue entities and let's rely, uh, come together as a city to, to address this. We can get a recreation center. If we can find funds for other things, we can put our the priority. We can put our children at a priority and get us somewhere safe to play, safe to grow up in. What would you do to bring us into compliance and open a recreation center in District Four? You know, um, the the mayor is really good at raising philanthropic dollars for a lot of stuff, and I think that one of the most important things to do is push the mayor to put a lot of uh, emphasis on raising money for a recreation center in the city of Detroit. And that's one thing that I'll do. I'll make sure that I'll, I'll fight in budget talks to make sure we put money towards recreation, a recreation center in the city of Detroit. I'll fight for the $400 million, uh, part of that to go towards a recreation center. And I think like, you know, we also, in it to keep these things going, uh, ECN has proven time and time again that they know how to work with youth with the Team Vault Center, which I was excited to be a part of the inaugural, uh, bring some of my mentees to the inaugural group. So ECN has done a great job with, uh, you know, providing youth a space to go to in the city of Detroit. And I believe working with groups like yourself to help identify a location and you know, uh, help manage a recreation center because we know the city can't do everything, but we can work with different groups to make sure that it gets done. So I'll, I'll do that. I'm big on recreation. That's one of my top priorities. And I believe that we can get it done if you support me as city council member. All right, Letitia Johnson, what would you do to help bring about a recreation center in our community and bring us compliance with the charter? So um, number one, it's all about prioritization of funds. Um, in the upcoming city budget, $6.5 million are earmarked for beautification. And while we, we'd all like to see beautification, I think we have to have a community center, not just for youth, but a community center for all residents throughout our community. Um, we need to prioritize that. 
instead of the $1 million that we are prioritizing for youth programming during the summer. So during the time that we are in the process of rehabbing a facility or creating a facility, um, we can utilize you know, nonprofit organizations, uh, faith-based organizations, um, as well as um, different entities who have facilities that we can temporarily use, but we have to make sure that we prioritize those dollars. Uh, having a community center is important for the young people. It's important for seniors to be able to go and do different activities. It's important for community organizations to be able to connect with residents throughout the community so that as we are identifying new initiatives or asking the community, what would you like to see? We have access to people. It's easier to access them if we are all going to utilize a community center within our neighborhood. So it's extremely important to prioritize the residents as opposed to um, other things that, that to me can be a bit frivolous. Um, and those things are things that we can delay doing. Um, and really, I think, work with residents throughout the community to help assist with beautification. Thank you. ML Elric, what would you do to bring about a community center in District 4 and bring this um, community, bring, um, bring us into compliance with the city charter? Sure, well, first of, all, first of all, I've been around long enough to remember when we had Cannon Rec Center. And I remember when Finney got a brand new floor, beautiful gym floor, and then they tore down Finney. So I just don't understand what we're doing. One of the key things is we do need a rec center. Uh, the Ralph Wilson Foundation is working towards it. The mayor has said he wants to use $100 million of that American Rescue Plan money for recreation centers and community assets. I think that's absolutely appropriate. And if that's not enough money to get us a rec center, I think we need to increase the amount of those ARPA funds that are coming to the district. But I'm not for waiting on this. And I'm not for letting City Hall uh, dictate our schedule. I'm all about strategic partnerships. When Eagle Sports out of Grace Church started at Balduck, when Balduck was a wreck, I was a coach there and we helped clean up that park. And we got grant money to restore the ball fields and to make that a place where kids could play. I worked with folks in Clark Park to try and keep that recreation center that's supported by the community open. I've seen the Eastside Hockey Arena be a private thing that was taken over by a foundation. The Mac Athletic Complex. We do have recreational facilities within the district. And what we need to do is make sure people know what their opportunities are right now. I do believe the schools offer some of these facilities and they should be accessible. When I was a school commissioner, we had an open gym night so people in the community could come into our beautiful gym and enjoy the recreational facilities we have available right now. I'm a trained communicator and I think we have lots of assets available right now. People just don't know about them. And we need somebody who can tell people that there are wonderful things among us right now. And my goal is to form these creative partnerships, these strategic partnerships, where we take the assets that we have, we make sure people know that they're available, and we help get people in there and enjoying themselves right now while we demand that the city live up to its obligation. We don't need to wait. We can do this right now. Thank you. Ani Bomani, what would you do to bring us into compliance with the Rec Center? Well, for one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, some of the money that uh, they're using now for these speed bumps and these, these bike lanes, some of that is unnecessary. A lot of that money could have been used for recreation centers. 
a lot of the money that we've been overtaxed with should have been used for recreation centers and providing programs such as uh, access to computers, access to um, supportive services, I think as somebody said, all these things could be in these recreation centers. And if you provide job training, then those people can give back. Once they go through the program, once they become more successful, they will start to give back to their community. You know, so we need to put money, we need to prioritize our money and where it goes. Again, stop giving it to these downtown development corporations. Stop giving it to these millionaires and billionaires and, and, and tax them to put money. That's what Joe Biden wants to do. He wants to tax these millionaires and billionaires and they're getting off the hook. They're not doing their fair share. They get these tax abatements and tax, tax credits and tax relief and they can do whatever they want to with it, and they don't get back to the neighborhoods at all. They need to get back. Plus, a lot of these corporations are actually polluting the neighborhoods, like Fiat Chrysler. They need to give some of this money and provide the jobs that they promised for people when they came into this area. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bomani, and thank you to all of the candidates. So we have, of course, a litany <laughs> a litany of questions from our viewers who are uh, here on Zoom and on Facebook. And so I'm gonna ask our event uh, organizers to send me uh, some questions uh, from the community um, and we will make sure that we ask. And one of the first questions that uh, came up is about um, Pride Month. So June is Pride Month. And this person is wondering what the candidates would do to support housing, employment, public safety, and other issues affecting the LBGTQ community, especially Black trans women. Are you in favor of amending the state's Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to be more inclusive of this community? Uh, any candidate can get in on that question. Absolutely, that's an easy one. No one should face discrimination, period. I supported the Elliott Larson Civil, Civil Rights Act was on, when I was in the legislature in 1977. Absolutely, uh, the LBC, LBT community should be in, uh, included in that act. Right, there should be no discrimination at all against any of the citizens of the city of Detroit. There should be no discrimination at all. We need to make sure everybody is treated equally um, through the law through the process, all the things that they deserve. We should not discriminate at all. And this should be an open city that provides for all its residents, regardless of what, you know, what uh, issues that they say, regardless of whether they're LBTT or whether they're black trans or black people, everybody should be treated fairly in the city of Detroit. And I would make sure that we have non-discriminatory policies to make sure that people are not discriminated against. I agree. I am in support of uh, uh, any any progress for all Detroiters. We need to make sure that we are putting the safety in the, prog the progress for all Detroiters and understand that we need to embrace and celebrate the difference. We, we need to understand that as people, we are different and, and Safety is important for everybody, and that's I, I'm an advocate for safety. I'm an advocate for Detroiters, and I'm an ally. I concur with everything that's been said so far, and I also believe um, just having a sit down with that organization as well, learning more about their issues and concerns. I think that would be great. Um, Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> I, I, I definitely uh, agree with everyone. I think that we should definitely um, prohibit discriminatory practices and policies. 
Um, and also we need to adopt intersectional uh, intersectionalism um, and understand what that means and actually have the uh, conversations with the LGBTQ plus community and understand what they really want and what they really want to be represented for. Thank you, uh, Ken Snap. I want to acknowledge something that said in the chat, uh, uh, a viewer, Cook M said, what about white folks or non-black folks? I think the reason why this person who posed the question specifically called out black trans women is because black trans women are being killed. They're being murdered at a disproportionate rate in the United States of America. And so I think that's why uh, the question uh, was posed in that way. I wanna go to the next question. Um, from another viewer, given that access to transportation is the number one barrier to climbing out of poverty and the environmentally racist policies that have prioritized moving cars quickly through our city, how will you prioritize improving transportation and mobility options for our residents in making streets safer for all of its users? Anybody can jump in on that. Well, first of all, I'd like to see our neighborhoods be a place where we can live, workshop, dine, play, and basically be within walking or biking distance of our home. So I think if we can create communities that are more, um, are more complete, that reduces some of the strain on the transportation system. And frankly, I'd like to see less reliance on having to go great distances to take care of your business. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the major things that in, in the city is like you want to be able to create neighborhoods like, you know, I think about Harper, I think about Mac, um, Jefferson, and I don't know if anybody has ever seen what has happened over at Livinois uh, recently, but just being able to create those walkable um, neighborhoods and making sure that people can go there and shop and, 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 and enjoy shopping there. You know, when I go on Livinois all the time now, it's like, it's a pleasure to go there. And, um, and you know, I think like a lot of my young people, they take the bus. We need to make sure that they know like when the buses are gonna show up. You know, I think we need, it's simple things that we can do to make sure that those things become, you know, more appealing to the residents because a lot of people are just like, oh, it's not, the busing is not reliable, so I'm not gonna take it. Uh, I'm gonna Uber. So I think we just need to find ways to make our, our busing system, um, you know, more, more appropriate for our people. Um. I would like to say uh, the first problem is realizing if you ever fly to Detroit and we all have family who live outside the states, the first thing that they say, well, I have to rent a car. Um, the the uh, regional transit is is abysmal almost. You can't get out of Detroit without paying sixty to hundred dollars to catch an Uber just to get onto a plane that's coming in or out. We have to address that systemic racism that has uh, avoided our people from continuing to other communities where these where a lot of our folks work. Um, so we have to be advocates against systemic racism when it comes to uh, transportation. Also, as Tucson stated, we do have to create a, a newer system um, so it can be more safe for our, our residents, our children who catch the bus, because Tucson knows that, and I both know as mentors, our children are catching the bus from 6 a.m., 5 a.m., all the way to about 9 o'clock at night. It's unsafe that we have bus times that span that long. Um, we have to get these kids home safely and in an orderly time. Most Detroiters do not have access to cars. Yeah, we, we need, sorry. Oh, most Detroiters do not have access to cars. I would like to see a more coordinated transportation system that helps get Detroiters the jobs, not only inside Detroit, but outside Detroit. And I agree with, uh, with uh, Ken Snap. 
that we have to attack the uh, systemic racism and we have to go at getting a coordinated, uh, uh, organized metropolitan transportation system. So if the jobs are outside Detroit, our young people can actually get to these jobs and we need to be able to make sure that they can move around Detroit uh, 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 since most of them do not have access to cars as a way to get to employment and, and, and shop and do other activities. When you look, sorry, Donna, just very quickly, when you look throughout um, metropolitan cities that are thriving, we see mass transit systems that are functioning very well. We need to make sure um, we continue to work on that as a regional issue within the Detroit area. Um, and also as it relates to the bike lanes that we now have seen popped up within all of our communities. Um, one of the most important things we need to do is to make sure that they are protected bike lanes. So within the East Warren corridor, we just had a vote uh, last week and many, most of us were supportive of the, the design that actually puts a concrete curb that protects the bikers so that everybody has the ability to move throughout our community safely. I believe that as leaders, uh, we, we need to advocate for road repairs in our city. Uh, we need to advocate for that as much as we can, voice our opinion, be that squeaky wheel to get that done. And moving forward, like, yeah, it's ideal for everything to be walking distance, but it's not. So we need to advocate for affordable, safe, and green. It emphasis on the green transportation in Detroit. Thank you, thank you, Davon, because you helped me transition to the next question. I've got to get a, a, an environmental question in here, right? We talk about mass transit, and driving is if driving is a preferable route, we know that our climate is in trouble. And we feel that climate inequity in places like Detroit. We've had a number of questions about the environmental injustice and racism and all, it's all, you know, transportation, environmental justice, racism are all intermixed. My question for you all, and you, anybody can answer is what would you do to increase environmental justice in district four to ensure that we are um, working to save our planet, but also the people who live inside our district. I, I'm going to start our first by saying prioritizing the health of the citizens. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, prioritizing the health of the citizens over the income and revenue. We need to address the illegal dumpings. We can't keep sitting by and being witness to the illegal dumpings. We need to address the lead in our paint. Over 73% of our houses in Detroit are infected with lead-based paint. It's ridiculous. Uh, we need to we need to make sure that we are addressing affordable and clean water. DPD right before the pandemic shut down the water fountains, and and we're relying on hydration stations and, and and the community to bring water bottles. I shouldn't have to send my my younger sister to school with a water bottle for the day. Water should be accessible to all Detroiters, and we need to start holding these big companies accountable for what they're doing to our our community. It's just that simple. I agree that the private corporation and many of these corporations are polluting our areas. If we had a decent community benefits ordinance to force these large corporations to, to clean up their act and stop polluting, and maybe we could start convincing these corporations to start, you know, some of these car companies to go electric, to go green. I mean, this is the most practical. This is what's going to save our planet. Our planet is not going to make it if we continue with fossil fuel. I know this is a revolutionary idea, but we cannot continue as a human race. They are destroying the health and safety of not only our young people, but also our senior citizens. We need to survive. 
We need to make it. And if they continue to pollute, and uh, over in the fourth district, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but every week it smells like gas. The whole area smells like gas. I mean, I think that the place is gonna blow up one of these days, it smells like gas. I complain, the DTE, they don't do anything. They act like they don't even know what's going on, like they just heard it, but it happens all the time. You need to hold these corporations accountable and start moving towards a green economy. And the green economy will also provide jobs for our young people, training that they can get inside these recreation centers and you need to open these libraries back up too. Thank you. You know, regulatory. Um, uh, something that's very important for us as as legislators or potential legislators is to deal with facts as well. Um, we need to know how much pollution is happening from where is it coming from, and I think like having those ideas will give us a um, you know you know a pathway to how to deal with it because right now everybody can just say oh this this company's polluting or that company's polluting, but we need to make sure that we're actually um, putting systems in place to be able to measure that. My understanding is that uh, the Fiat Chrysler has uh, air quality um, that lets you know when it's going over certain levels. And I think we need to do that across the city um, with different organizations and companies. And so then we'll be able to address the issues that are happening um, with the air quality. Because as we know, it is very important. I work in Southwest Detroit and I know they dealt with those issues um, time and time again. We need the regulatory well, okay. Go ahead, Judge Smith. Judge Smith, please no, finish. No, please. Well, we, need, we, need to, we need the regulatory agencies to do their job. We need the state regulatory agencies and the city of Detroit's reg regulatory agencies, the Wayne County, which are over air pollution, which are over uh, pollution of the water. They need, to, they need to have their feet held to the fire. We need to know what they're doing. We need to know how they're protecting the citizenry. And anytime they don't step up to properly make sure that those pollutants are not coming in our community. We need to make sure that the government agencies that are overseeing them feel the fire and the heat from the citizens of the city of Detroit to their elected leaders. Can I say something really quick? After ML, after ML. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, just briefly, I would say that uh, I like to look at opportunity where other people see crisis. And the fact that we have so much vacant land, a lot of that I think can be converted to solar fields where we can then feed power back into the grid, get a credit, and that credit can be used to help reduce the power bills of our neighbors who can't afford to keep the lights on and the heat going. So in addition to repurposing some of that land, I think we can actually use it to generate some of the power that we need to reduce the coal emissions, to reduce burning fossil fuels, and to help keep our neighbors safe and warm. All right, Ken, go for it. Um, so interesting fact, uh, I know we're talking about FCA. Uh, I talked to uh, Jerry King, who is a UAW uh, community, uh, community advocate. Uh, and they were saying that the new plant that's building the SUVs from FCA, um, it's putting out almost 600, uh, 600 million tons, I believe, or 600 tons. I forget the, the exact number, but it's creating more waste. Um, I know Jerry, Jerry talked about uh, we need more mature uh, vegetated buffers, meaning more trees, more things that take that carbon uh, oxidation out and they help us breathe better because a lot of people in those areas have asthma. So we need to talk about that. And I think that if we can get more mature uh, vegetation around those areas, that can also, um, you know, decrease 
uh, I would say viral infections and uh, as you know, folks that have asthma, we can actually help them out with uh, planting more trees. And, and one thing to add to that um, is to make sure that because we're seeing more industry pop up within District 4, we need to make sure that we hold these corporations accountable for truck routes and making sure that the trucks are going the proper route to reduce the amount of emissions that are in our residential communities um, and hold them accountable for doing that, as well as um, adding more of trees that, that do provide uh, the carbon buffers for our residents. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Donna. 8 p.m. And um, I'm willing to continue this conversation, but we do have a few updates we want to share. And um, if you want to stay on after 8 p.m., you're certainly welcome. Um, before that, I really want to get the second poll in. Can we get a second poll up? And then we can continue conversation for her. Well, actually, Donna, let's do this. Let's get let's get the second poll up and then provide the candidates the opportunity for their closing remarks in case they have to go. That's right. Thank you. All right. Did this forum help you in making a more informed decision for the upcoming election? If you are on Facebook, please answer this uh, poll question in the uh, comment section for us. Donna, can you repeat the question one more time for the Facebook? You are making a more informed decision for the upcoming election. Um, all right, so we have, um, when we get to 80%, I will, um, oh, there we are at 80%. We'll wait, try to get 100% if we can. We're at 80% um, now. We're gonna wait 10 more seconds and then I'll share the results of the poll and then you can go into your closing arguments. I'm gonna jump off and reaccess re by phone because I have to get moving, but I want to um, be here for the rest of the conversation. All right, so I'm gonna end the poll and 92% of the people who responded said yes. 8% said no. Um, congratulations to the candidates for helping voters make up their minds. This was a very, um, lots of great answers, lots of great candidates, and I'm sure the choices are going to be hard, um, but we're going to let you um, now enter into your closing statements. And then if you have time, a couple more um, questions perhaps, and some announcements from ECN that you don't wanna miss so that you can know how to stay connected to our work. All right, thank you, Donna. I am going to uh, switch up the order a little bit and go by who is appearing on my screen first. Davon Reeder, you have two minutes for your closing statements. I'm sorry, I was actually uh, typing the closing uh, statement to the group. But um, I, I, want, I want to start off by saying thank you for everybody for joining this conversation. And um, thank you again for the organization that put this together. And I'm a candidate that is going to be solution oriented. I'm going to approach all of Detroit problems with solution. My track record shows it. Uh, as an undergraduate at Eastern Michigan, I've seen a problem on Eastern Michigan campus with the retention rate with black males. And I started a nonprofit, nonprofit to address that. Um, I then came home and served as a school teacher in our public school system. And during my time as a school teacher, I helped over, I helped hundreds of students graduate from high school and now many of them are attending one, two and four year institutes. Uh, 
again, I know the problems. I have faced the problems myself. My mom has raised me to always be, to identify the problems and tackle the problems. For far too long, we have been hearing people say what we need to change. And we have elected people to, to make those changes, but they get up there and they, they bump elbows and rub hands and forget about the voters, forget about the people who matter. I am dedicated to being a true son of Detroit, a, uh, a true Eastsider, and, and understanding that all my decisions and my actions will be a direct reflection of what the community wants, what the citizens want on district, in District 4 and on the East Side. And I express again, I'm a people person, I'm a community person, and I am dedicated to the, the dedicated to the citizens who don't have a voice, to the ones who weren't aware of this, this conversation or who don't have the technology to join us in this conversation. I don't want those people to be forgotten. I want every Detroiter to be a part of the process. Again, Davon Reader, you can check out my uh, campaign yeah. and my four point plan at my website. We are at time. Thank you, Davon. Uh, Ken Snap, you have two minutes for your closing remarks. Uh, again, thank you guys for hosting um, Eastside Community and uh, Orlando and Miss Givens. Thank you so much uh, for taking your time out to allow us to, you know, voice our opinions and um, see different input from other uh, of our colleagues. Um, but I just want folks to remember that this is about policy, and I'm going to continue to stress it. This is about policy. This is not about uh, who's more popular or who is putting out yard signs or it's it's really about policy right now. Um, you have to think about who's going to review and approve the annual budget in your favor, who's going to establish long and short term objectives, who's going to establish tax rates for these, these businesses that are coming in. And it seems like they're getting off willy nilly. You got to think about that. Um, who's going to communicate policies and programs to residents? Who's actually going to be more progressive? That's what this is about. It's not a popularity contest. It's not about marketing and it's not about personal uh, agendas. We have to remember that going forward. So I like to leave you with saying I, I've been from uh, day one. I've talked about policy. I've talked about being progressive and actually standing for the citizens. I've lived in the district probably longer. I think the longest um, <laughs> since I was born. So uh, I understand the plight. I understand the problems. Um, I, I can only talk about them, you know, for so long until we actually have to get ready to do things and create the policy that represents the community and also be more progressive and go out in, in, um, into the nation and put Detroit at the forefront of uh, progressive conversations instead of being at the, the backseat uh, to California to uh, more progressive states like that. Um, I think that once we do that, Detroit can be progressive in policy. Detroit can be progressive in livelihood. Detroit can be progressive when it comes to engaging in community. I think that uh, we have to focus on policy in this upcoming election across the board. Thank you, Ken Snap. Letitia Johnson, you have two minutes for your closing remarks. Thank you to Eastside Community Network for um, and Authentically Detroit for putting on this uh, candidate forum. So many people ask me if we were going to come together. So I think what a lot of people may see is that a lot of what we talked about pretty much aligns. I think one thing that's extremely important is for us to make sure that we look at people's track record. What have we done? 
have we represented the voice of the people within the community since we've been in the community? I've lived in District 4 for over 28 years. I've actually lived in five neighborhoods throughout District 4. And three of the properties where I lived no longer exist. That is one thing that I want to make sure that I change. Uh, equitable development is a, an extremely uh, important area for me making sure that we provide affordable housing. We're intentional about that, making sure that we provide support to small businesses, making sure that we do bring in a community center or two within our district. Environmental justice is another area that's extremely important to me. We have basement backups that we're seeing throughout this entire district. We have seawalls that are dilapidated that need to be addressed. We have water rates that are astronomical for some. St. Louis has flat water rates, why can't Detroit? We need to make sure that we put our residents as first priority and that our communities are a number one priority in anything that we do. So I say again to you all, make sure you take a look at what we've done, not just what we say we're going to do. I am Letitia Johnson. My website is letitiajohnson.com. I stand for accountability and transparency and look forward to connecting with all of you as I move forward in this campaign. I appreciate your time and thank you all so much for being here and listening. Thank you, Letitia, right on time. Tucson Knight, you have two minutes for your closing remarks. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy I was able to share, you know, just my thoughts and um, what I've done, you know, so far in the, in, in the city. I think was what was important we need to look at how, what have people done in this area. If you talk, to, if you go around District 4, you will see that there are people that I've been able to assist throughout my years being over here. And I, I might be the, I might probably, I don't know if I'm the, uh, haven't spent a lot of time, probably been over about seven years now, but those seven years have been strong. We've mentored, you know, I can't even count the amount of kids. The, I can't tell you we've sent over 50 kids to college and the things that we've done to really make our neighborhoods better on a consistent basis. And when you, what I believe that's important as a council person is that when you call, we answer. That when you have an issue, we resolve it no matter what, not give you the runaround, not tell you, um, you know, we can't resolve it or we're, it's not the right place. I'm gonna let you know if I'm gonna make sure that I work in resolving your issues on a consistent basis. That's what I've done for the years I've been over here. That's what I'll continue, uh, continue to do. I believe that my, my council office will be a one-stop office. That when you call there, we'll make all the other calls for you just to make sure that your issues are being resolved. And um, we always need volunteers. We always need support. So I ask the people, if you want to join this campaign, please email us, Tucson for Detroit at gmail.com. If you are looking for a yard sign, you know, we have plenty yard signs to go out. Please feel free to hit us up for that as well. Um, because as we continue to knock on doors and continue to talk to people, and the doorbell rings this time. We'll make sure that <laughs> <laughs> that's my plan, right? So we'll make sure that we address all your issues. We'll make sure that we get the job done. You count on that as a city council, me as a city council person to do that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Tucson Knight. Judd Smith, you have two minutes for your closing remarks. Uh, I was raised in uh, the uh, political arena and uh, working in my dad's business. I've been uh, a public servant uh, ever since I was 29 years old, I was the first uh, African-American ever elected on the, in, in the northeast side of Detroit. 
after we beat the state representative, then we beat the state senator, then we beat the county commissioner. Uh, our communities used to, uh, our communities have been uh, 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 discriminated against uh, uh, ever since we've been in this uh, country. For myself, uh, in all of the uh, efforts that I've had, both in the legislature and the courts, I've been true to my commitment of being uh, a good public servant. I have worked hard at being a good public servant, and I think I've had some success. I've tackled a lot of issues. When I went to the circuit court, I chose to go in the juvenile division because 80% of the African-American youth coming through there were African-American. I wanted to make sure there was an African-American male that was in that division, that was in charge, that was trying to make sure that we could do all we could to try to pull them uh, out of the uh, abuse and neglect that they suffered uh, within our community. Uh, I attacked that abuse and neglect. I attacked the generational neglect at the juvenile court. We put a task force together. We involved all aspects of the juvenile community from the social workers to the attorneys, uh, to the community, uh, to the courts, to the county. And we had uh, good success in, 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 in reducing generational neglect. But that was all the symptoms. The problem is poverty. I intend to attack poverty. I want to go at the 35% of hardcore poverty uh, from, from single parent households with, with children. And I want to make sure I can Judge do Smith. all I can to help eliminate it. Thank you, Judge Smith. You know, it's, it's so hard to cut off the judge because I'm sure the judge is used to everybody being silent when he is speaking. So sorry, sorry Judge Smith. <laughs> Thank you, Orlando. That's a, uh, Thank you, uh, Judge Smith. Uh, ML Elric, you have two minutes for your closing remarks. Thanks. Uh, first of all, I want to I want to thank uh, Orlando and uh, Donna and everybody who submitted questions and ECN for making this opportunity available. And I want to tell everybody how much respect and appreciation and admiration I have for everybody else who wants this office. Uh, I'm not a career politician. I've never run for anything before in my life. Uh, I've usually gotten drafted to do things like being a union officer and an organizer and someone who's stuck up for my colleagues and my coworkers. I'm not doing this because I need the job. I had to give up my job to do this. I'm doing this because I'm at a point in my life where I wanna serve my community full time. I've been a coach, a mentor, a volunteer, a neighborhood activist, a board member in my neighborhood association. I've cut the lawn down the street. I've cut the median, I'm gonna do it again. We put 70 volunteers on the streets during the Motor City Makeover to help clean up neighborhoods, to work with neighborhood organizations, because that's what I do. I believe in strategic partnerships. I believe in creative problem solving. And I believe in trying to leave things better than I found them. I'm not going anywhere. I love Detroit. I love my neighborhood. I wanna serve my neighbors. And I believe in putting public service before self-service. One of the things that's really important to me is that I work for all of our families so that my daughters who were raised here will want to come back. They do want to come back. And so that our kids will never want to leave. This to me is a special opportunity and I'm grateful for your time and attention to hear me and to give me an opportunity to speak about what I hope to do. Basically, if I could say it in one sentence, I want to serve you. I'm a problem solver. I'm someone who listens. I'm someone who works with people. And I hope you'll give me the opportunity over the next four years to work with you to try and make this neighborhood, to make this district and this city the place we all hope it can be 
because we're getting there. And with your help, I hope to be a key part of that. Thank you very much for your time and attention and for giving us this precious June evening. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, ML, right at time. And Mr. Bomani, you have the last, last word, two minutes for your closing remarks. All right, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, inviting uh, the candidates and uh, the community to get to hear it from everybody. Um, but again, my, I'm Ani Bomani for Detroit City Council District 4. I am unbought and unbossed. Never will a millionaires and billionaires be able to take me in back rooms and make deals against the people in my district. And that seems to be going on a lot with gentrification, with the Downtown Development Corporation, money going other places other than the uh, community. I want, I have been a public servant. I have been a community organizer and activist, a union representative for 30 years. I've, I've worked on a grassroots level in all phases of uh, community organizing. And I don't think anybody who can stand up to my record as far as being able to stand up to the corporate interests, the people who have money, who seem to be able to do whatever they want to in the city of Detroit, never will they be able to uh, get me to go against my community. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people down there who are doing that now. And I just don't think anybody has the backbone like me as a revolutionary progressive candidate to stand up to the rest of these people who are trying to take over, gentrify Detroit, and get people to leave. They really want people out of Detroit so they can bring this place and make it a playground for the rich. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bomani. And our thanks to all of the city council candidates for District 4 uh, for joining us.